All right, good day, everyone. How you going? I'm punchy. Uh, I'm stoked to be able to look at this opening part of Mark's Gospel. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for church. Thanks, Lord, for the freedom and the safety and the privilege, Lord, to be able to come here together, to gather in your name. Uh, Father, thanks that whatever day, whatever week we've had, you've worked such that we're here now. And as we gather, we want to hear from you. We ask, Father, that your spirit would be at work in this place. Please speak through me. Please work in each of our hearts. We thank you, Father, for the gospel of Mark. Thank you that in it we can, we can get to know Jesus, your son, who he is, and what he means for us. And so we just pray that you would be revealing yourself, revealing your son to us tonight and working in our hearts wherever we're at, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how good was the Mark's Gospel, uh, the Mark drama, last week? It's good? It was real good. Uh, for me, I don't know about you, but right at the start, I was kind of sitting up the back, kind of pinching myself, giggling a little bit. Because here I was watching this book that I'd read so many times and thought so much about, all of a sudden coming to life, and by people that I know who aren't professional actors, but killed it, did such a good job. It was so good. I loved it. Let's give another cheer for those who were involved. Yeah. And if you were there, I'm sure that you've got your own favourite moment. My favourite moment was right at the very end. After the emotion and agony of the garden and the betrayal and the crucifixion, that moment when the two women head out to the tomb and they arrive there and the stone had been rolled away and the person appears in white and says, don't be alarmed. Are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He is risen. And if I wasn't so Anglican, I would have jumped up at that point. I had a massive cheer. Because for me, that was it. That was the moment, the biggest one. After all that Jesus had suffered, what he'd gone through on our behalf, on my behalf, to then hear those words, he's not here, he is risen. How good. That's victory. That's hope. And it's glory. That is the glory that Jesus deserves, isn't it? Well, the Mark driver, it did. It gave us a unique opportunity to immerse ourselves in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now for the next seven weeks, we're going to walk through that story beginning in chapter one tonight, where in these opening 15 verses, Mark gives us an epic, a huge introduction to Jesus and his kingdom. So let's get started. Now, you know that moment when maybe you're watching TV and the program's interrupted to cut to some breaking news and maybe you yell out, everyone, quiet, quiet, come listen to this. This is going to be important. Well, that is the sense of these opening words from Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel means good news and that is how it is translated in the NIV, which we heard read. That's from the ESV. 
And maybe we could understand why the NIV went with good news instead of gospel, because maybe in our day, gospel makes us think of Sister Act or Kanye Sunday sessions, because it's a type of music. But in Mark's day, the word gospel, it carried weight, right? It, it, this sense that this is important, the kind of stop everything and listen important. This is good news. Gospel is good news of historic proportions. And so in this opening verse, Mark is announcing that the coming of Jesus is a history-defining moment, like the birth of a king, like the defeat of a great enemy, like freedom and salvation and, and peace won for all. And Mark then says, this gospel has been hundreds of years in the making. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling into the in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now here Mark actually quotes two Old Testament prophets, Malachi and Isaiah, who came 400 and 700 years before Mark, both saying that one day the Lord will come and a messenger will come before him to prepare the way for the Lord. And so now for 700 years they'd been waiting 400 of those years in silence, day after day, week after week, year after year, century after century, looking, longing, praying for a sign, praying for this Saviour. And then Mark writes, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. John the Baptist is that messenger. The wait is over, the search for a saviour, that longing for liberation, this is it. The messenger has come, which means the Lord is coming. And that word translated Lord from Isaiah 40, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the personal covenant name of God himself, a name so holy and revered that typically Jews didn't speak it or write it. And so then in verse 9, when it is Jesus of Nazareth, who then comes after John the messenger, Mark is saying that the Lord, the Yahweh of Israel, the creator God of the universe, the ruler and judge of all the earth, has now come to us in Jesus. Jesus Christ is no ordinary human being. He's not even just an extraordinary human being. He is God. He is so much more. He is Jesus Christ. He is God come to us as a man. This is massive, right? This is huge. Don't let it wash over you because you've heard it before. Soak it up. Mark is saying that this man, Jesus, is God. Now, can you imagine the kind of crazy if people were to claim that kind of thing today? Like, it'd be out of control. And if this is true, if what Mark is claiming here is true, then it is by far the most significant event in the history of the world. Surely, our God comes to us, turns up. And that claim is really what the rest of Mark is all about. The events that he records, the teaching, the miracles, the life and death and, re the life, death and resurrection, all of it is there 
to back up that incredible claim, including the next things in our passage tonight. All of it screams out, Jesus is God. And so next, in verse 9, when Jesus goes to be baptised in the Jordan, as He's coming up out of the water, what happens? Heaven is torn open. Can you picture that? Heaven torn open? And then the Spirit descends on Jesus, and then a voice from heaven speaks. It's God the Father saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then, after that, verse 12, the Spirit sends Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where He is tempted by Satan. The devil himself turns up. Now, all of this, it's not normal, is it, at all? What we're witnessing here, heaven torn open, hell that the devil confronted, what we're being introduced to is something of cosmic proportions. It means that in the very least, the world as we know it, what we can see with our eyes, touch with our hands or hear and smell, taste, that's not all there is. This isn't it, right? There is more. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There's a spiritual realm. There are angels and there are demons and there is a God. It means we aren't the result of a random accidental collision of atoms. We aren't simply atoms and molecules all dancing around to the tune of our DNA. It means that we aren't alone. There is a creator, there is a designer, there is a God. And now he has come in the person Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but the first question that springs to my mind in light of this revelation is, why? Why has Jesus Christ, the God-man, come? Why now, to this place, at this point in time, and in this form, why has He come? And we don't have to wait long for an answer. From Jesus' first words, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, can you feel the gravity of everything that Mark is bringing us into here? This is huge. These opening scenes from Mark in, in this gospel are epic. It's Avengers Endgame type stuff, right? Humanity has failed time after time after time. Even the very best of us, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the law, the sacrificial system, the temple, from the moment Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree in the garden, Satan, sin and death, have ruled and reigned. And nothing and no one has been able to stand up to these, our greatest enemies. Everything in all of creation and everyone who's gone before, everything has been leading up to this moment. Heaven sends her champion. Jesus Christ, the God-man, has come. And His first words in Mark, after His baptism after heaven's torn open, after God the Father speaks, after a 40-day, 40-night bout with Satan off in the wilderness, he speaks and he says, the time has come. Right? This is goosebumps, hair standing up on the back of your neck type stuff. This is huge. Jesus speaks and he says, the time has come. If this was a movie, 
Can you just imagine how much the directors would be throwing into this scene and how stirring and dramatic the music would be, the anticipation that's building, everything going into this. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, come on, Punch, relax, calm down. But it's true. This is a huge moment in the history of the world. Jesus, the God-man, comes. He comes and he is our hero, sent to rescue us, save us from our worst enemy, from death, from Satan, from ourselves, our selfishness and our sin. This is it. Jesus says the time has come. The Lord has come, heaven's torn open, Jesus arrives, the kingdom of God has come near from heaven to earth and he says, repent and believe the good news. And already in these opening verses, we get, a, we get a sense of what kind of kingdom this King Jesus has come to bring in. First, we see it's a kingdom of faithfulness. When Jesus goes into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, tempted by Satan, he emerges exhausted but sinless. Right? In contrast to every other king who went before him, all who succumbed. To, to sex or money or power, Jesus, he doesn't crumble under the pressure. This is a kingdom that won't be marked by sin, it'll be marked by faithfulness. Jesus didn't give in to the devil here, and he won't give in to the devil or evil or temptation or fear or exhaustion ever. He'll remain faithful to his Father, and he'll remain faithful to the mission, and he'll remain faithful to us. It's a kingdom of faithfulness, and it is a kingdom of selflessness. In verse 7, John says, This one to come after is infinitely more powerful than I, so far above me, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. And you get the sense that John expected maybe this nine-foot-tall, ripped abs, massive arms, dominant on the battlefield, deadly with a sword, king to come, right? And Jesus is all of that, but in heart, in character. You know, John says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals, but towards the end of Jesus' story, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus Christ, the king, is down on his hands and knees, washing the feet of his followers. This kingdom won't be won through violence, or bloodshed, or a, a mighty king wielding a sword. It will be won through selflessness. It will be won through sacrifice. It will be won by a king who will fall under the sword. There will be bloodshed, but it will be his own blood shed for his enemies to save them. It's a kingdom of selflessness, and finally, it is a kingdom of hope. What were Jesus' first words? The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is here. He says the kingdom of God is near, has come near. And that distinction is important because it means that Jesus' arrival signals the inauguration of his kingdom, but not yet the culmination. We're not yet there. It means that as we read about the life of Jesus as recorded in Mark, we are getting a living picture of what this kingdom will be like. 
You know, just like a, a movie preview gives, that, gives you that 30 second grab of what the whole picture will be like. Well, Jesus gives us a living, walking, talking preview of what this kingdom will be like. So that what we see in the life and work of Jesus, it gives us a picture of this age to come. Which begs the question, well, what do we see in Jesus that can tell us about what is to come? Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to see Jesus overcoming evil. Just like he resisted the devil here, he will cast out demons, he will release people from spiritual oppression. In this kingdom to come, their evil will be done away with. And sickness will be done. Mark gives us accounts of men and women, young and old, blind, mute, deaf, crippled, bleeding, all kinds of sickness and disease and suffering healed instantly by Jesus, at times with nothing more than just the touch of his clothes. This kingdom will be a kingdom where there will be no more sickness or disease. And even more incredible, Mark will report Jesus raising people from death back to life. People who are dead made alive again by Jesus. Wrap your head around that. He will raise people from death to life. And it is actually what we see there, a foreshadow, it pointing towards Jesus' own death and resurrection and what can also be ours in Jesus. What we see in those people and what we see in Jesus, His death and resurrection, it is a preview of what will be ours in Jesus you and I will be raised to life after death in Him. It is a kingdom of hope. Jesus gives us a glimpse of what is to come. The kingdom is near, He says, but it's not yet. So in Jesus, we await a world where there will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more evil, no more disease, no more death, only life and joy and peace and security forever and ever. It's a kingdom of hope we look forward to. And not only do we get to see who this king is and what this kingdom will be like, but we are invited in. You are invited to be part of this kingdom. This isn't just heaven opened, Jesus, the God-man revealed on earth. This is heaven open and you are invited to come in. How do you come in? How do you say yes to this invitation? Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? Repent means change. It means transformation. It begins in your heart, recognising and confessing to God, I've sinned against you. In thought, in word and deed, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Which is why then Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, because Jesus is the good news. He came as one of us, human, so that ultimately he could take our place, bear our sin, face death and judgment on our behalf, so that in him we might be forgiven. He is, Jesus is the good news, who saves us from our sin, and then he empowers us to change. So in verse 8, John said, I baptise you with water, 
But he, that is Jesus, will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. If you say yes to Jesus' invitation, the promise is that he will send his Spirit to live within you as a helper, a counsellor, a comforter, a strength, a shield to empower you to change, to be transformed. The invitation is there. Have you responded? Have you responded to Jesus' invitation? If you've said yes to Jesus by repenting and believing the good news, I wonder, is it still good news? Does it still lift your, your spirits? When you think of Jesus, you think of this kingdom, when you think of the hope, does it come alive in your heart? Or has it come a bit, become a little bit too familiar? I've got to admit, I reckon a couple of months ago, coming into this series, that was how I was feeling. You know, I heard it before, and, and that was where I was at. And I prayed and I spent time reading through the Gospels, and it just come alive and struck me once again. Because when you stop and think about this news, what Mark is reporting here, th- these words here, these events in history, it, it really is incredible. There is nothing that comes even close to, to this in importance for us, for everyone in, our, in the whole world. And not only is it so important, but it is actually good. It's good news. This is a king and a kingdom that we can get excited about. That we can, want it, we can celebrate and we can share that. We can celebrate that with others. In a couple of weeks' time, some of our SNCers who've said yes to Jesus are going to be baptised, just as John was doing here, just as Jesus was baptised. If you want to get baptised, come and see me after the service. We can fit you in. The more, the merrier. And for those who are getting baptised, it'll be a way for them to celebrate who Jesus is and what He has done and share that with us and with all their friends and family. Because that is just what you naturally do whenever you receive good news, isn't it? You, you share that with everyone you love. I think if you've said yes to Jesus' invitation, you've received this good news, then I think we need to look and follow the example of Mark here, the example of the disciples, the example of John the Baptist and share that good news with others, and prepare people to meet Jesus too. I wonder, is there someone in your life right now whom you're praying for, who who you're talking to, who you're sharing Jesus with? Is there someone that God has placed in your life who He wants to introduce Himself to them through you? Who is that person? Have you started that conversation? You know, coming towards the end of the year, it's that opportunity. There's so many ways that we can bring Jesus into conversations. We heard we're doing the food drive uh, this coming week. We've got a bunch of extra services. Summerfest is happening in January. We've worked hard for Summerfest this year to make sure we've got events really that appeal to everyone. And at our information and prayer night, Mikhail, our prayer champion for Summerfest, shared the slogan. It's uh, this one up here. (laughs) Not that one. That one. All for one, one for God. And that slogan, it came together in the hope and prayer that each one of us who've already said yes to God, 
would be thinking about and praying for and inviting at least one person in our lives who's yet to say yes to Jesus to come along to one thing during the week of Summerfest. That's the idea, all for one, one for God. Each one of us thinking, praying and inviting one person to one thing. Why? Because we want our friends and our family and our neighbours here in Menai to share and hear this good news of Jesus and have an opportunity to respond and to come into that kingdom, just as we've done. And if you're here tonight and you've not yet said yes to Jesus, well, in these opening scenes, Mark has given us a great introduction to Jesus and his kingdom. We have seen that this is a kingdom of faithfulness, where the king will remain faithful to you. And this is a kingdom of selflessness, where the king will sacrifice himself for you. And it is a kingdom of hope, where one day there will be no more sickness, suffering, disease or death. And finally, this is a kingdom for everyone, where the king himself, Jesus Christ, invites each one of us in to share and be part of his kingdom And if you would like to respond to this invitation and say yes to Jesus by repenting and believing, I'm going to give you that chance now. It is as simple as praying to God, confessing your sin, asking for forgiveness, and then believing that good news, that in Jesus you are forgiven and that he will send his spirit to live within you so that you might live differently with Jesus as your Lord and King. So let's do that now. If you want to say yes to Jesus, come to his kingdom, pray with me in your heart and in your head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for living my own way apart from you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life and thank you for his death in my place. Thank you that in him I am forgiven. Tonight I put my trust in Jesus. Please send me his spirit that I might live differently and that I would live with Jesus as the King of my life. In his name, amen. Well, we're going to share in communion now, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. And as Stefan's come up here, I I want to just encourage you, if you prayed with me then, for the first time, said yes to that invitation, that is the best thing you will ever do in your life and for all eternity. And we'd love to celebrate and share that with you. So tell someone, please tell myself or tell the person you came with. Uh, We'd love to be able to encourage you. Hand it over to Stephanie.